0: You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Let's have a word of prayer this morning. Father, we thank You for what we've experienced so far. We thank You for Your Word, how it speaks to us, Lord, that when this poor man cries out, You hear. Lord, we thank you for the songs that we have sung about your grace, how amazing it is. And that we can say it as well with our souls this morning because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray now that as we open your word that you would be magnified, that you would be glorified, that all praise and attention and honor would be drawn to your name because, Lord, you are worthy. And so, Father, I pray now that as we spend this time around your word, that you give liberty and freedom, that your spirit would work Lord, only you know the hearts of the men and women, the young people that are in this room, and so, Lord, only you can speak to them, and we ask that you do that. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles this morning, if you would, and look at 1 Samuel chapter 22. We've been there. We will be there today as well. 1 Samuel chapter 22. If you recall from our study that this is a time in David's life where he is wanted dead or alive, but mostly dead. Okay, The the truth is Saul's not worried about rescuing David and having him taken captive alive. Saul wants him dead. And so David has been on the run. He's had real trouble. Chapter 22, verse number 1. David, therefore, departed thence and escaped to the cave, Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And, and I know we discussed this portion of Scripture last week. I want to stay there again this week because there are a number of things that I, I want you to see this morning. I want you to realize about everyone who's mentioned in these four verses. We, we find in, in 1 Samuel 22, 1, that David now is in the cave, Adullam, He's running for his life. And now his family comes, including his brothers. And they come, and they meet with David, and they, they gather together with him. And I want you to remember something about his brothers. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, three, the three oldest brothers of David were fighting for Saul. Were fighting for Saul. And uh, they were part of Saul's army. Saul was their captain, was their leader, was their king. And now you find that they've left Saul's army. They have deserted. And they go with their brother David. They know that David has been anointed by Samuel to be the king of Israel. And they know that Saul is single-handedly destroying the nation. And so they make a choice, and the choice is this. We are no longer following Saul we're following David and I want you to notice something about this choice they pay for it they suffer they're no longer in their homes are on the run like David understand something this morning when we make choices when we make decisions there are always consequences for our decisions And, and we live in a world today and I'm talking now about Christianity that, that somehow we think that I can pray a prayer, I can invite Jesus into my life, and then I can do whatever I want until he, he miraculously calls me home to glory. But I want you to know something. That thought is your thought. That's not Jesus' thought. In, in Luke chapter 9, you're familiar with this verse, I'm sure, but Jesus is talking about discipleship in Luke 9. And here's what He says in verse twenty. 3 And he said to them all if any man will come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus says that if you make a decision to follow me to be my disciple you're going to have to do some things. You're going to have to deny yourself daily and take up your cross. Die to self. There's a cost for discipleship. He carries that same theme in Luke chapter 14 verse 27. And listen to what he says here, speaking again about discipleship. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And so Jesus is very clear. And if you were to follow Luke 14 to the end of the chapter, he says some amazing things there. He he says, listen, and he gives an illustration about discipleship. He says, nobody builds a tower without counting the cost so they can finish it. Nobody goes to war against another army unless they know they have enough soldiers to be victorious. And what he says to the believer is this, you better count the cost. Listen to me this morning. Believer in Christ, following Jesus, being a true disciple, it will cost you something. Jesus doesn't call people to being neutral and neutrality. He never does. He never does. Christian man this morning, I want you to know something. If you follow Christ, it will cost you something. If you're going to be a man of integrity and character and honor, it will cost you something. Christian woman this morning, I don't know why it's doing this, and I'm trying to correct it as we go here, but we've had trouble with this thing, so I don't know. But bear with me. If you hear popping, just think it's your bones, okay? Because it could be. All right? Some of you are older, you understand that. Christian woman, listen to me. If you're going to follow Christ and be a a woman of character and integrity, um, it's going to cost you something. You'll be misunderstood. You'll be maligned. You might lose relationships. It'll cost you. Christian young person, this morning, listen to me. If you're going to be right in your school and in your neighborhood and with your peers, it's going to cost you something. You could be ridiculed. You could be made fun of. You might not be invited to all the places everybody else is invited to. I'm telling you something. There's a cost for following Christ. And Christ never said to us it would be any other way. He said, pick up your cross and follow me. And when we make decisions, especially in Christianity, you better mark it down. It's going to cost you something. And David's brothers made a decision. We're not going to follow Saul. We're going to follow David. And it cost them something. And now they are in trouble. Real trouble. Let's go back to our text in 1 Samuel 22, verse number 2. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captain, speaking of David, over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And and so here's the next group. After David's brother, we see, brothers, we see these 400 men, and it says that they are in, they are in distress. It's an interesting word there. It it, it means narrow. And and we would say they're in between a rock and a hard place. The, The word is synonymous not only with being narrow and a rock and a hard place, but anguish. So here are 400 men, now they come to David, they're in distress, and everyone is in debt. They have made bad financial decisions, and now they have a creditor. And and, and the creditor back then, like maybe today, could take your bed, could take your home, could take what you had, or put you into prison because you owed a debt. And then it says that they were discontented. These men and their families that came to David were discontented. They had real trouble. They were bitter of soul. Okay. So we see David's family, they're in trouble. We see these 400 men and their families, and for different reasons, they're in trouble. Let's read on in our text, verse number 3. And David went thence to Mizpah of Moab, and he said unto the king of Moab, Let my father and my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you till I know what God will do for me. And we talked about this last week, just to, in, in passing again. Um, here is David, he goes to Moab. His great-grandmother was Ruth the Moabitess. And, and just again to remind you, 100 years before this event, our God was orchestrating all of the circumstances so that David could come to this place and in this distress find relief and peace and comfort for his family. And this is our God. This is how he works and operates. So we move on, verse number four. And he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the while that David was in the hold. And so David's family's in trouble, These four men are in trouble, and now David is in the hole. And what it means is he's running for his life. He's hiding in a cave. He is really struggling. This is where we find ourselves in the story this morning. Everyone in this story from verse 1 to 4 is in trouble. They're in trouble for different reasons, but they're all in trouble. Can I make a bold statement this morning? I believe everybody in this story has trouble. Could be wrong. Maybe right now everything's peaching in your life. And if it is, praise the Lord. Thank Him. But I have a hunch that everybody in this room knows what I'm talking about. You've had trouble. You will have trouble. And maybe right now, you're in trouble. I want you to see this morning how powerful the Word of God is. There's a verse of Scripture, Romans chapter 15, verse number 4. You'll see it on the wall here. And this is what God says about the Word of God. He says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And you see what God's saying? God's saying, listen, everything that we have here, it tells a story. The first story, the grand narrative is this, that God is going to redeem mankind. That's that's... From from Genesis to Revelation, the story of this book is that God, in His holiness and His righteousness and His justice, will judge sin, but in His love, sent Jesus Christ to die for that sin. And at the end, in Revelation, He will redeem everything. He will deal with sin, and He will reign forever. That's, That's the big story. But along with that, Paul tells us that part of what we have in Scriptures is this. These stories that we hear from are for our learning that through Scripture this morning, we can have hope. And so this morning, no matter where you find yourself or for whatever reason you find yourself there, I want you to know that the Scriptures give us hope and and substantial real hope. Here's the great thing about David. Every time he's in trouble or every time he's blessed, he writes a song, And we have them. And what's interesting about this passage is there were two psalms that were written, Psalm 57, Psalm 142, and they speak about David in this situation, in all of this trouble. And so this morning, I invite you to find your way to Psalm 57. And I'm going to read the entire passage this morning, and then we're going to refer back to it and hopefully find the lessons for us this morning as we look to find hope from the Word of God in the midst of our trouble. Psalm 57. Starting at verse number one, "Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee, yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed." Now let me stop there. I, I know I'm going to read the whole thing, but I have to stop there, because David does something very interesting here. He uses this phrase, "Under the shadow of your wings." And for those of you who know Scripture, you know that's not the first time this is used. It's used often in Scripture, talking about God and His protection. We find it first in Deuteronomy chapter 32, where it talks about God as an eagle. He flutters over His children, and He spreads His wings over them. Jesus picks up the same idea in Matthew 23. When He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and He tells about what they've done wrong, and He says, how oft I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chickens, but ye would not. And what David is saying here about God in this situation is, I will take refuge in the shelter of his wings. Now listen, you don't have to be a farmer or have chickens to understand this. The imagery is so beautiful, we get it. Years ago, we were in the States, and we were at some friend's house, and it was about, it was, about, uh, it was uh, Independence Day, 4th of July. And so, you know how the Americans do it, right? They blow stuff up. So, so, so our friends had these fantastic fireworks, and we were, there were several families in their yard, and we were so excited that the sun had gone down, and he brought out, I mean, the rockets, man. They, they were, I mean, they were hardcore rockets. And so we're sitting there having a great time, and it's time to light them, and, and, and the host went to the backyard and he stuck a pipe or a PVC pipe in the ground, and he put the first rocket in there and angled it the right way, and he was all set, and then he lit the fuse. And he started walking back our way, he's about 20 yards out. Everybody else was around the deck and patio, just watching, anticipating. And as he walked back, we could see while his back was turned that the pipe started to sink in the ground and move facing us. Now, listen to me. This is, this is the difference between men and women. Because every man there sat there and watched it happen. It's like, this is going to be cool. And so we're standing there watching, and we, we see the fuse is lit. It's too late. He's far away. And so we're standing there. We're waiting for this to happen. And this is why men die sooner than women, okay, because we don't think. So we're, but now listen, here's what happened. Every woman there, every one of them, when they saw it happen, they did this. They grabbed every child they could. It doesn't matter if it was theirs or the neighbors, but every child they could, they put their arms around them and they ushered them all into the safety of the patio screen door, the glass, closed the glass, and then watched everybody else suffer outside. Okay. And, and that's the idea. This is a picture. The picture is of, of our God, like a mother naturally does to her chickens just gathering them up, and we see God's love and his sweetness, his protection, his comfort, and it's so refreshing. This is our God, and this is our Savior. And, and David says, listen, as I think about my trouble, the imagery that I have first and foremost is this. I'm going to take refuge in the wings of my God. Oh, that's a great truth. It's not what the message is about today, but it's a great truth. Tuck it away. You'll need this. You'll need this in your life to remember this imagery. David goes on and he says this, Attend unto me and hear me, I mourn. I'm in the wrong, see, I'm just so wrapped up in that imagery. I'm I'm in the wrong chapter. We go to 57. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven. And save me from the reproach of him that shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among the lions, and I lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me. Into the midst thereof they have. Fallen themselves, Selah. My heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Awake up, my glory, awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations. For thy mercy is great unto the heavens, and thy truth unto the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. And so what I'd like to do this morning now is look at this psalm. We find David in trouble. And here's what he does. He does three things here. He talks first about his trouble. We'll talk about that. <clears throat> he then talks about truth and the real truth, what's happening, what's going on, and why he can endure this, tr- this trouble. And then finally, we'll look at David's testimony. Okay, so that's where we're going today. We'll look at trouble, truth, and testimony. Here's the first thing. Verse number one of our text, David acknowledges the reality of trouble. He says in verse number one, I will make thy wings my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. Until they be overpassed. And the idea here is this. David recognizes that His trouble, his calamity, and the word calamity means destroying storms or destructive storms. This is serious. People are hunting for his life. I want you to understand something. When David speaks here, he's not talking about someone cut him off in traffic or he stubbed his toe. People want him dead. And so he says, listen, I realize the reality of it is this. I do have trouble. I am in trouble we all face trouble. It's a reality. And anyone who says to you that, hey, just get, trust Christ and your life will be easy, and if you live right and have faith and give enough money, you'll never have trouble. Listen to me. Those people are lying to you. They're lying. When Olstein and Myers and Dollar and Jake's Say things like, well, if you have enough faith, you'll be okay. I'm telling you something. They are lying to you. It's a false gospel. It's this. The gospel for them is, hey, trust Jesus, and you'll be happy, healthy, wealthy, and wise. There's a problem with that. It's not scriptural. Job chapter 5, verse 7 says, Yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Listen, this morning, it doesn't matter if you're saved or lost. You have trouble because we live in a sin-sick, sin-cursed world. And my fear about, about Christianity today is in our hemisphere, this thought that if I just have enough faith or if I can plant a seed of faith by giving money, the problem with that philosophy is it makes shipwreck the faith of people because... If I'm in trouble and I can't get out now or, or I'm not miraculously delivered, then there are only two people to blame myself, my lack of faith, or God. And both are wrong. Listen to me. There is trouble in this world. There is. And some of it for us is self imposed. For some of us, we've gotten in trouble because of our own stupidity. I heard this quote the other day there's a reason for everything. And sometimes the reason is you're stupid. And that's, and that's true. But sometimes, trouble is just tossed into our lap. And we didn't ask for it. We weren't looking for it. David didn't do anything wrong. There's trouble. The reality, reality this morning is this. There's trouble. You can be the best Christian in the world. You can do all the right things. There's trouble. Okay. Now, David understands it and realizes that we have to as well. It's it's the right foundation, it's the right starting point. But now he goes from trouble to the truth. And I'm telling you something this morning. For all of us who know Christ the Savior, you and I have got to preach to ourselves. We've got to tell ourselves the truth because too many voices are telling us lies. And here's the truth. He says in verse number one of our text, look at the end, until these calamities be overpassed. Overpassed. Here's the first truth. He says, listen, I do have trouble, but I, I know this. This too shall pass. David, he knows this. He says, till these calamities be overpassed. This will end. Listen to me. There is a time for everything. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us that. He, he says, listen, there's a time for every season under the sun. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. There's a time to plant. There's a time to reap. There's a time to build. There's a time to pluck down. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to dance. There's a time to hate. There's a time of peace. There's a time of life and a time of death. It's there, and there are seasons. And David says, listen, I know this. This too shall pass. This is exactly what Paul is thinking about when he writes in Romans 8.18. He says this. He says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul is saying, it's not easy all the time, but it's going to pass. And for the believer today, listen to me, eventually, it all passes. There is coming a day, there won't be any more phone calls in the middle of the night. There is coming a day when cancer will not be read as a result. There is a coming a day when we will not suffer. We will not be sick. There will be no more tears. There is coming a day when God says, I will wipe it all away, and you'll be in my presence. Listen to me. These calamities will cease. Our calamities are a matter of time. But our safety is a matter of eternity. Think what Jesus said in John sixteen thirty three. He says, in this world, you will have tribulation. Right there, folks, listen to me, right there. Everything else that's said, that says you won't, is a lie. Jesus just said, you will have tribulation. Whether you give money or go to the right church or plant a seed of faith, you're going to have trouble. But then he says this, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, right? Okay, so listen to me. The reality is we have trouble in calamities, but David says they will cease. And what David knows now is they'll be past, but right, what I need now is I need to have something so I can endure these calamities. And it's amazing what he does. Here's the second thing he does. He understands they will cease, and then he says this. I'm going to look to God's character. God's character. Look at verses number 3 and 10 of our text. They say the same thing. He says... He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Say, like God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Verse number 10. For his mercy is great unto the heavens and his truth unto the clouds. And David says, okay, I know that this trouble will eventually cease. But during this time, what I need is this. I'm going to look to the character of God. And and these two words here, mercy and truth. And we might think, yeah, I got that. I know what that means. But listen to me. Let's take a look at mercy. Mercy, it's a wonderful word. And literally what it means is steadfast love. Steadfast love. David says, in the midst of my trouble, I realize it's going to end. But while I'm there, I want to look at God's steadfast love. Listen to me this morning. And if you, you gotta get this. The God of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who spoke all things that we see and don't see into existence, this God, the Almighty, Jehovah, Elohim, this God, who is from everlasting to everlasting, this God loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Do you you understand that? That this is the God who he loves me. And whether the trouble is self-imposed or not, or it just landed in my lap, David says, I'm going to think about this God and his character. This God loves me. And it's steadfast. It means steadfast love. It's not not like it's fleeting. This is why Paul says in Romans 8, this is a good one to look at. You need to see this. Romans 8, starting at verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, In all these things, even if we're killed, he says, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. And watch this. I am persuaded. And and Paul, when he says persuaded, he means, I am convinced. Nothing will shake me. Nothing can shake me. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, depth, any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen to me. David says, in my trouble. And, and we, we all think we need something. I need this, or I need that. Be, no, David says, what I need to remember is God's steadfast love doesn't change. Oh, how he loves you and me. But then he says something else. He says, his mercy and his truth. And that word truth literally means Stability. It means faithfulness. It means trustworthy. You read that psalm, and David is describing his situation, and here's what he says. These guys are like lions. Their teeth, they want to divide, they want to kill me, and yet I'm sleeping in the midst of them. I'm calm. My world is swirling out of control. And yet, because of God's steadfast love and his trustworthiness his stability his faithfulness david said i'm okay now, now listen everything's in a context you know we, we find we find our text in for samuel we find uh, psalm 57 psalm forty-two. but but there's a reason that david could say i can trust this god do you know why he had a track record him and god had history 1 Samuel 17, what does he say to Saul? Saul, don't worry about it. I'm okay. God will deliver this uncircumcised Philistine into my hand. Why? Because he already delivered me from a lion and a bear. He was faithful to me. And then he delivers Goliath. And so David, now he has that. And then he has every step he takes, he's delivered. Then he goes to to King Achish and Gath and delivered again. And so David says, look, I'm okay because I know that God is trustworthy. He has delivered me. He will deliver me. I can trust him. He is stable. And when we find ourselves in trouble, we must go back to the character of God and say, God, you love me, and God, I can trust you. Some of you folks, you know, right now, honestly, not right now, wait till I'm done preaching, but when I'm done preaching, you need to start remembering what God has done in your life, how he's delivered you, how he's been faithful. How he has been stable. Great is thy faithfulness. And we all have to come to this point to to, to say this. Hitherto the Lord has helped me. That's what David does. David understands it will cease. David understands the character of God, his steadfast love, and his trustworthiness. And there's something else David discovers about God and shares with us about God. Look at verse number 2 of our text back in Psalm 57. Verse number 2 says this, I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. And what he means there is this, God will perform his purpose in my life. psalmist says another way later on, he says, that God will perfect all things in regard to me. David said, I'm in trouble. I know it will cease. I understand that. I know God loves me with a steadfast love. I know I can trust Him. But here's another thing I know. I know God's commitment to me. And God is not done. God is doing something. He is performing something. He's going to finish this work. Isn't that what Paul says in in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6? Being confident of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will finish, complete it, until the day of Jesus Christ. And so David says, I can trust him because I know he's doing something in my life. Listen to me. You might not like this, but it's true. God uses greatly those that he wounds deeply. They've been in trouble, man. It's been hard and difficult. But God brings them to a point because he's teaching them something about himself and about themselves there's an illustration of a of a piece of wood that was being crafted by a craftsman and he was chiseling away and whittling away and and the piece of ebony didn't like it it was crying out stop it it hurts quit chiseling quit boring holes quit doing all this stuff i just want you to stop and the craftsman said little piece of wood you're so foolish my whittling and my chiseling and the punching holes i'm making you into a flute and this flute will bring beautiful music and joy to a world. What I'm doing right now may pain you, but I have a purpose and a plan. I'm here to tell you no matter what your trouble is, God has not forgotten you. He's not forgotten your name or where you are or what's going on. He knows, and he is committed to fulfilling what he began. That's the truth that David clings to. And now finally this morning, let's look at his testimony. Back at our text, Psalm 57, look with me at verse number 7. David says after thinking about who God is and <clears throat> what He's done, my heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. It says in verse 8, wake up my glory, wake psaltery and, and harp. I, will, I myself will awake early. I will praise Thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto Thee among the nations. For Thy mercy is great unto the heavens, and Thy truth unto the clouds. Be Thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let Thy glory be above all the earth. And here's David's testimony. Even in times of trouble, he sings. He sings. Because God gives him songs in the night. And he knows God. He knows these troubles will cease. He knows that God loves him. He knows that God can be trusted no matter where he brings him. And he knows that God is going to finish whatever he began in his life. And so David then, in turn, doesn't cry, doesn't complain. Oh, he's had his time. He he cried. Be merciful. I mean, he's been there. But now what he says is this. You know what? I will sing. I will praise. I will exalt. Why? Because I know this God and... Not only do I know Him, but I want the world to know Him. I want the world to rejoice with me about His glory, His weight, His worth, His value. And my friend, that's a job for all of us. Those who know Christ, we are to to seek His glory, His worth, His value, His weight, His substance. And oftentimes we do that in the midst of trouble. Can I tell you something? It's really easy to praise God when there's money in the bank, right? Hey, it's easy to praise God when I'm feeling good and I've got my health and it's good. It's easy to praise God when the kids are all in line and intact and I feel like the family is good and we've got this covered and we're going the right direction. It's easy. Man, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that's within me. Bless His name. This is great, God. But who can't do that? Who couldn't do that? Can you bless his name in the midst of your trouble? And again, I'm not minimizing your trouble. I'm not. But David could. Because David knew God. And he had a glimpse of what God was doing. Wouldn't it be great if we as believers today no matter where we find ourselves, could be like David in the psalm, and cry out to him. And, and, and he did. He mourned. He wept. He knew. But he thought right. And it changed his heart and his mind to where at the end of all of this, he then praises God. May that be us today. No matter where you find yourself, what trouble you're in, whether self-imposed or not, God, I, I know this is going to end. It's hard right now. I need to endure. Help me to see your love, it's steadfast. Help me to trust your truthfulness, your stability, your faithfulness to me, your trustworthiness. Lord, help me to realize that you're not done with me. You're doing something deeper. And you know this. Hey, there are lessons we can only learn through suffering. We can't learn them any other way. And God, I believe you're doing something. And so in the midst of this, God, help me even... Through my tears and my disappointment and my sorrow, my trouble, to praise you and to magnify you and to tell the world of your glory. Let's have a word of prayer this morning.